should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Oh, and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because we weren't sexy enough to get jobs doing hardcore litigation. My name is Kevin, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Benedict Taco Bell's mild sauce in human form. Benedict, what's your favorite hot sauce? Ooh, good question. Um, and it can't be what I know is the real answer, Taco Bell mild sauce. No, it is not Taco Bell mild sauce. In fact, I've never had Taco Bell. Um, what? Yeah, I know. You are a bad American. Sure. You are such a bad sure. American. That's fine. I'll live with that. <laughs> um, good question. I guess the the two I have, well, uh, the two I have probably um, like my go tos for an Asian hot sauce. I just have like sriracha, and Everyone does, yep. um, I have the crystal for like a like an American hot sauce. Yeah. You don't have like a tapatio. Yeah. Yeah. Chalua? Yeah. It's just a bit like the, I put those on pretty much every, like they're, they're kind of like base dish. They're agnostic. The go-to sauces. Yeah. I have, I have other ones as well, but like, I mean, I have seen your closet It is 90% uh, Sriracha t-shirts. <laughs> you are that kind of novelty. No, I, I like, it. but like it, other spices I tend to cook into stuff. Like I don't really do like I have a, I have like, three shells full of spices but i don't have like a huge amount of hot sauces on hand you know mm-hmm. um i don't know but those those are like the two that i have on my like not in the cupboard they're just out because those are the two that i use i'm with you because for me it depends on the food yeah right? exactly if it's eggs i want one that's more vinegar yeah so you like want a like tabasco. a crystal or a tabasco or something like right that. exactly yeah. so something like that but then all other stuff you know if it's like uh korean food or something then maybe something that's uh, a little more just plain heat is what you. Yeah, I have. I, get I have a gochujang as well, like a a gochu, um, mm, a gochujang. Yes, I like yes. a, I like a good. I'm gochujang. gonna go deep cut, and I'm just gonna go garlic, uh, uh garlic chili uh, sauce. Okay, That'll the uh, rooster, the little rooster container, garlic yeah, chili yeah. sauce. That's what I go for because okay. that stuff is the best. I use, I use it on everything. I go through like yep. three of those little tiny tubs a month. Yep. I really should start buying in the larger size. The only the only I make a salsa verde sometimes is mm. I do it with like tomatillos and. Serranos. Aren't you cultured yeah, and look wonderful? At that. There you go. That's the only salsa <laughs> that I make really because it's just good and fairly easy. So, well, Benedict. You probably know, but some of the folks out there listening, they may not, mm-hmm. what exactly it is that we do here on this program, or them, I would say that this is a show where we go deep, 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 to plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from work of conservative nonfiction, and in between, taking a look at other examples of the right doing their best to make America hate again. Benedict, Darsoff, do you have a hot take for us yeah, this week? Yeah, uh, sport is really stressful. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my team did not manage to win the league today, despite having lost Aww. two games. Is that why you season. wanted to start recording earlier? No. Just try and yeah. get the sting off. Yeah, trying to try and literally tweet <laughs> through it. Like <laughs> you, try, you try and bring another sort of pain yeah, into your life exactly. so to get over that one. The pain. No. Um, yeah, my I, soccer is the sport that I watch, and my team, which is Liverpool, uh, did not quite manage to win, despite having lost only two games all season. We we finished mm. one point behind the eventual winners. 
Christmas, which was very sad for me. And basically what happened had to happen today is they had to, we had to get a better result than them, than our rivals. And we won. And then they scored like three goals in the last 15 minutes to win when they oh, were losing two to nothing. So, so heartbreaking, sad. heartbreaking. Soccer. Uh... Okay. Soccer is the most popular sport in the world. So fuck you. <laughs> Not the most popular in my living room. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. What about Anyways, you? What's your hot take? My hot take this week, Benedict. Uh, also, I will chime in and say just first uh, about what you had said uh, that I also, I understand the pain of sport mm. because uh, I was at a, a hockey game last night. Sure. I'm not a blues fan, but someone I'm seeing uh, is a blues yeah, fan. Yeah, but you so got to you got to be night. you got to be into it. And if you're going to a game, you want the team you go to see to win. Like, yeah, you know, you know, my my Sharks, my San Jose Sharks suck, are out right? of the playoffs already, okay. so I don't really care. Did they make the playoffs uh, this time? No, no, they didn't. Okay, uh, so <laughs> so I I don't really care what happened. So I just got to sit and enjoy the game, and you have that sort of clarity that not having a horse in the race really can bring. <laughs> To just like, like, oh, you know, they're worse. They people are, they around are you were pissed team, off yeah. about a terrible call, yeah. what they think is a terrible call, yeah. and I'm just sitting there going, nah, it could have been. That's, 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 that's reasonable. I, see how that yeah, I could see that being given. Yeah, yeah. yeah, my wife does that for me. She's like, you, like that was a foul, though. Like, and I'm like, never, ref! <laughs> She's like, you know, I've never you seen know, a clearer foul you know in my that life. Was a foul, I though, understand yeah. what you mean, but like, there have been clearer fouls. Yeah. Like, there have been people who have just look. Like, I'm with you, and I love people. you, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Benedict, uh, my hot take this week uh, is uh, it comes from a, a deep, deep, lukewarm place I- inside of me, as all these uh, so often do, and that's that everyone should have a special pot mm. just for making popcorn. Okay. Because uh, I eat a lot of popcorn. That, that is popcorn. a deep cut. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right? I eat a ton of popcorn. It's one of my two food groups. Okay. Uh, What's the other one? Just out of interest. Lard. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's butter, goddammit. Um, um, and I was just making popcorn the other day, and I, I when I moved from D.C., I got rid of my special popcorn pot. Okay. Because what are the I characteristics thought, oh, of a special popcorn pot? Just out of uh, okay, it needs to have a lid that sure. goes on that is uh, tightly secure, uh-huh. so that uh, butter and oil don't sort of dribble Go down the sides yeah. of the pot. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You're gonna have a mess if you do that. It needs to have a wide bottom, and it needs to be. I, I don't know how to explain this, but it has to be the right size to hold the amount of popcorn that I usually make. Right, it needs to be <laughs> that proper size, which I had the perfect pot. Okay, so why now did you that get pot rid of is it? gone, because... and, and now there's sadness in my life. Okay. So why why I'm did you get with. rid of the, the, the popcorn pot? Because I thought I needed to consolidate. Mm, no, foolish. Never consolidate. Ah, I own too much shit. You can consolidate <laughs> knives, never pots. You can never have too many pots. Yeah, that's experience. probably true. That's probably true. Anyways, let's move it along a little bit, Benedict. What's on your bookshelf this week? Yeah, I'm going to re-suggest, um, because I read that New York Times Haiti piece this week. Uh, as you, mm, Yes, as you, you were you were steamed about that. I was that. steamed. I always am. But just read The Black Jacobins by C.L.R. James. It's really good. The Haitian Revolution is something everyone should know about and then how they were fucked over for many, many, many years to come. Um, someone someone also tweeted about, I forget who it was. I think it was maybe John Gans. It's like C.L.R. James put a footnote in the revised edition being, being like, my critics have said that I have not talked about uh, black atrocities enough and have uh, exactly." Exaggerated white atrocities, they are wrong. 
which is like <laughs> yes that is true like absolutely that um so yeah black jacobans by clr james is brilliant brilliant introduction to the haitian revolution um and yeah just read it it's amazing what about you fun stuff for me benedict um i'm suggesting actual fun things as i like to mm. do uh you may or may not be aware of this but uh you know good people are there's a new marvel movie out sure uh doctor strange and the multiverse yep. of madness i went inside it it's magnificent it's everything is it better uh, than spider-man they... no it's not right. better than so spider-man not nothing's better than spider-man uh, you know that I am one of the world's largest Spider fans, mm-hmm. so uh, you know I'm not going to say there's anything better than Spider-Man, even, what, if Spider, Spider-Man, 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 Spider-Man even if it was a bad Spider-Man Even if it was Spider-Man 3, Benedict, even if it was Spider-Man 3, I would not admit that this was better. Is that what uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Heads call themselves? Spider-Fans? Is that... Spider-Fans, okay. yes. World's number one Spider-Fan. That's what I am. Uh, but Multiverse of Madness is a great flick. I uh, really enjoyed it. Really fun time. I will say, I still have not seen Morbius. Uh, that's yeah, it the seems one like that it sucks, honestly. Like, everyone said it so much that I decided I'm just going to wait for it to come out on one of the streamings, mm. and then I'll watch it. Uh, Disney Plus, probably, I think, is where it'll go, yeah. and I'll, I'll just watch it there when it's out. It's one of the few Marvel movies I have not gone to see in the theater uh, in the last several years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll be looking forward to it, because uh, I will sit and put myself through that torture, even though I know it's apparently terrible, according to everyone. Anyways, Benedict, a little bit of housekeeping this week before we get started. First off, remember to rate and review us on the iTunes. Follow us on all the social medias at NYGBCPod on Twitter and at NYGBCBen uh-huh. on Twitter. Nice. Uh, if you uh, also want, you can go over to our new website, NYGBCPod.com, where I post some uh, some bonus stuff from time to time. I put up, I think, one little dishy blog post. Uh, I found uh, some information about... Uh, an InfoWars employee working for Glenn Beck that I didn't think anyone had been aware of, so I wrote a little bit about it, and then next thing you know, she gets in the news somehow, and everyone was writing about it, and uh, so that was great. great. Uh, but also fun stuff going on over there. Uh, updates! Updates this week, Benedict. First off, I have been unable to find the Dinesh D'Souza new documentary, Hervey Air Quotes, movie for free anywhere, so... I think for patron only, what we're going to be doing for the second one this month is, as I mentioned before, dummy crats. Okay. So <laughs> we're going to force Benedict to sit through that. That'll be all wonderful for all of your enjoyment. Uh, and uh, then uh, just uh, one other important thing that we always have to do, Benedict, sure. and that I will say is to induct people into the spooky world, new world order. Great. And we have one inductee this week. That is Joseph Lennox at Lennox Play on Twitter, who recommended us to some people in a Twitter thread. So, of course, I will always induct people for that. Joseph Lennox, you are now part of our New World Spooky World Order. Didn't someone um, post a review that they wrote as well between this show and the last show? Mm, probably so. whoever that was because i don't have twitter open in front of me i think someone did i will try and find it and do it for next week benedict remind me when we're done recording i will to look yeah, that up i, I can do I, will, I can do uh, it quickly while you uh while, while we talk yeah if, you can do that. if you would like to become part of our spooky world new world order of course there are a number of ways to do so you can tweet or post about the show on social media recommending it to others and send me a screenshot or tag us in that Leave a, st- a five-star review wherever you can and drop me a screenshot and let me know. Make a donation to a worthwhile charity and send me some sort of verification that you've done that. Or become a patron, as so many fine people before you have done. Benedict, did you find it? I didn't, no. It's too far back. <laughs> we now get too many Twitter mentions. It's weird. 
Yeah, it is strange. Anyways, Benedict, this week we continue our book review of American Marxism by Mark Levin, who is determined to one day destroy that dastardly Spider-Man. Benedict, what did we read this week? Well, Kevin, this week we read the second half of Chapter 4, in which Glenn Beck really, really rails against the 1619 Project, and that's most I of the I like that you said Glenn Beck there, oh, because shit, we yeah, are Glenn still Beck. stuck in that world. <laughs> Mark Levin, sorry, my bad. Let's be fair. Is there any discernible difference uh, in writing style, at the very least? No. There's a difference in the direction their paranoia leans towards, but uh, I think very much we haven't seen much difference. Well, oh wait, no. Glenn Kevin. actually pays people to write paragraphs. One second, for Kevin. Him. We we really actually do need to go back. It's Tinker's Dam, and we have to give a shout out to uh, their daughter who's doing their GCSEs. Oh yes, yeah. yes, yes. So, uh, I'm leaving that in. I'm not editing it out. Sure, I'm no, not editing we, it out. No, we we'll have just to do go, this right so, now. So good luck to scale with all your all your GCSEs and and other such like things. I did GCSEs. You're, you're supposed to explain to me what They're that terrible. is. It's it's like SATs basically. It's like the um, oh, okay, like the yeah. Stand- the standardized exams that you do when you're 16 um they're a little meanwhile more... <laughs> i never took the sats oh, really? or any sort of exam well of anyway type. this isn't about <laughs> and you. got into two of the top this universities isn't about in the world you. this is about scale um who is doing her gcses and will do awesome i'm sure so good luck i'm sure you won't need it but i'm sure you'll be great indeed and, and you are now powered of our blue world spooky world order Yes, good luck indeed. Anyways, Benedict, um, yes, this is the second half of chapter four we're going to be doing this week. And this, like I said, this chapter brought the crazy back for me. There's a lot of complete fucking nonsense in this chapter, and I'm here for it. I love it, 100%. I'm all about it. And this is also where we get into, like you said, a lot of uh, screeching about the 1619 Project, Mm -hmm. which is what he starts off this portion of the chapter with, as I will read the... Not beginning, but the paragraph where we decided to split up the chapter this week, which is, quote, Moreover, CRT is spreading rapidly throughout America's public schools. Among other things, this is being accomplished with the strong advocacy and corporate machinery (laughs) of the New York Times and the 1619 Project. Mm -hmm. What is the 1619 Project? Writing in real clear public affairs, I was unaware that that shithole outlet had expanded into other... Uh, names by which to sure. pretend they're not Real just quick, a, a right-wing uh, outlet mm-hmm. anymore. I don't know. Uh, Christina Skirk, a research assistant at Hillsdale College. I How many uh, red flags in a row can we get here? Uh, right? Yeah, it's not, um, not brilliant. No, if you ever see here's Hillsdale, that is just permission to not take whatever's going to come next seriously. Uh, explains that it is, quote, a series of essays published by the New York Times, dot, dot, dot. The 1619 Project reframes U.S. history by arguing that 1619, the year slaves were first brought to Jamestown, is the year of America's true founding. In partnership with the Times, the Pulitzer Center created a curriculum based on 1619 that they distributed to over 3,500 schools. The curriculum teaches that slavery has had a lasting impact on all U.S. institutions. According to a Pulitzer Center lesson plan, one discussion guide question asks, how do societal structures develop to support the enslavement of black people and the anti-black racism that was cultivated in the U.S. to justify slavery influence many aspects of modern laws, policies, systems, and culture? And I guess we're supposed to look at that and think, wow, that's horrifying? Yeah. I, that's the only thing I can assume about it, but I... 
just see eminently reasonable statements. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, like, uh, hey, let's analyze the past and see if everything we believe about it is true. Like, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, and we should say at the outset that as far as the 1619 Project goes, um, plenty of of historians have had criticism about it. Yeah, which is Just for some sloppiness. Not even sloppiness. Like, you're allowed to disagree about history and people push their own narrative and the narrative that they think is interesting. Like, nobody agrees about history. It's it's not objective fact. That's the point. Right. And well, I think some of the things are like, there are some technicalities, like the fact that there were slaves brought to the U.S. earlier than the ones they want to focus on with 1619. Yeah, and I feel like we'll get to it later as well. But like, even the stuff like... um, like ex- like America explicitly being founded to maintain it as a slave state, I think historians have quibbled over. But like yeah. you can't argue that that was the outcome, whether it was the intention or not, that was the outcome. So absolutely, yeah, one hundred percent. And uh, so he gets next. You know, he wants to complain about Nicole Hannah Jones because what white American? This male is really wouldn't? funny because it's like the cinematic switch. Like he, you can <laughs> you can see him getting like excited that she's like, oh, she she originally is like one of the great revolutions in 1776, and then she like pulls the rug out from any conservative watching and yes. it, like does the. It's funny. Yes. It's a good paragraph. Though the way that finishes is apparently with I I didn't watch the video I didn't pull it up but apparently she you know first it's like very positive about the the U.S. Revolution and then she finishes by saying you know basically retro, record scratch the only way you can believe that this country was the most liberatory democratic nation that the world has ever seen is to of course erase the indigenous people who are already here dot 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 and to ignore the enslaved Africans is the way that that he quotes mm-hmm. it that Levin quotes it which. Good fucking point, yeah. right? Yeah. It was I mean, I don't know how for all the white men. I will say that. Right. I don't know how Mark argues against that. Oh wait, it's by ignoring it yeah, and moving on. He literally does not. He's like, ah, <laughs> oh, well, it's bad. Wave of the hands, and we're on to the next thing. And then he keep you know because his whole thing is large block quotes from other people, so he doesn't have to do any mm-hmm. actual work or actual writing for this book. Uh, the next one is another quote from Hannah Jones where she's talking about aspects of American life. And actually, it's not a quote from Jones. It's a quote from, I think, that Hillsdale person writing about Nicole Hannah-Jones. Because mm-hmm. why would you go directly to the original source? Oh, wait, that's the point of this show. Uh, and it says, quote, She points to incarceration rates, the lack of universal health care, the length of maternity leave, minimum wage laws, low rates of union membership, highway systems, explicitly and implicitly discriminatory laws, and poorly performing school systems in minority neighborhoods as examples of the continued effects of racism. Benedict, one of those things in that list is not like the other. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if you can figure out which. I'll leave it to the listener. Just read them again. Explicitly discriminatory laws? You want to include explicitly discriminatory laws. You want to argue that Nicole Hannah-Jones is making too much of a big deal out of? Yeah, that's true. I I think you have a problem here. I really think you might have a problem here. But so anyways, the next couple of pages are just being angry that the 1619 Project exists, going over some of the lukewarm criticisms that some people have had about it, uh, going to this one guy, Peter W. Wood, Mm -hmm. Uh, who is uh, somewhat interesting, uh, but he's, I think, the guy who wrote this book called 1620, A Critical Response to the 1619 Project. Which, I, like, that doesn't make sense. Why is it called 1620? There wasn't, like, uh, a big backlash. Of, like, what? Why is it called I don't know. I, I could not figure out. one better than 1619? <laughs> what a ridiculous thing to do. I, Benedict, I know it's one <laughs> of those times. 
<laughs> Wait, you said, oh, no, why would it be? But, uh, no, uh, he actually did, uh, I think, 1620. Uh, I have it pulled up in front of me. Uh, it was the signing of the Mayflower Compact okay. was in 1620. So, oh, boy, great, sure. I suppose. Great. Fine, great. man. He just had to pick a year that wasn't 1619, and he found one that was convenient. Yeah. Fun. Whatever. Anyways, uh, this guy, Peter W. Wood, who wrote that book, uh, is the president of the National Association of Scholars, uh, which, you know, sounds, as so many of these things do, like a very basic, just, uh, you know, group for people of a certain type to belong to. Scholars. Uh Whatever that means. Of course, it's not surprising. It's actually an American far-right politically conservative advocacy organization that spends its time screeching about those crazy kids in them, their schools, and all the CRTs that are being done, and all that kind of stuff. That's what it really is. Uh, But he's very mad about the 1619 Project as well. It's not just Mark, we all know. Yeah. And he writes about it in a quote that Levin pulled from him. Quote, The 1619 Project aligns with the views of those on the progressive left who hate America. And that's all I need to read for you to know you don't need to take this man seriously. Like, I've said this a number of times, but the they hate America line is always the point where I go, okay, you're just a fucking joke of a human being. Mm -hmm. There is no point to you. You're a fucking joke. Because you don't want to pretend that there's even any area to talk. You just want to pretend that the people you hate are literal demons from hell who want to destroy this country and turn it into fire and brimstone. Yeah, and in this context, I like basically he's saying, like, th- this is the bit where he was talking about, like, uh, a racist founding, essentially, um, or, like, a, a pro-slavery founding. And yeah. I-, I-, I would just, like, I-, I forget the exact quote or exactly who said it, but there was an English politician who asked, even at the time of the revolution, um, and forget, this is paraphrasing it, but he says, he says roughly something along the lines of, why is it that those who whine li- loudest about freedom are the, are the drivers of slaves? So, like, <laughs> yes. Like, even yep. at the time, people were like, hey, that's hypocritical. Like, even yep. the English were like, are you sure that you mean liberty and justice for all? Because it doesn't seem like you do. And, like, it, it's one of those things we always go back to, again, with, like, you know, you're not allowed to to champion the uh, Thomas Jeffersons at the time when Benjamin Franklin's existed, yeah. right? People who were legitimately anti-slavery. You're, you know, in the, uh, you know, you're not allowed to say that the United States, uh, oh, it was so great for freedom when, you know, the UK freed all the sla- its slaves, you know, uh, Many, many years before yeah, the United States very, ever did. Very early 18th Plenty of problems yeah. with the United Kingdom on its own, of course, that we could spend lots of time talking about. Benedict yeah, is uncomfortable could, right yeah. now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why we would, though. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this is that point where he's like, oh, they all say that it was all about slavery. And, the... and again, there are historical uh, arguments about what level slavery played a role in the, um, the American they Revolution. They course... deliberately chose to keep it around, though. Which they didn't Certainly have to did. do. They literally Certainly put did. in the and Constitution, we will not consider this again for the next 20 years because it's too difficult a question. Which they yes, did not and... have to do. They explicitly mm-hmm. chose to functionally continue. So I guess you can argue that America was founded as a slave state because they explicitly said nothing will be done about slavery for the next 20 years. Well, and I mean, three-fifths clause, motherfucker, is yep, what exactly. I will always go to. Motherfucking three-fifths clause. Yeah. And I mean, we will never, 
I don't think I'll ever laugh as hard as, you know, running across the Prager U's of the world that argue that the Free Fist Clause was an anti-slavery yeah. thing because it limited the power of the South. And like, go fuck yourself. Know. Oh, slavery doesn't appear anywhere in the Constitution. Right there, motherfucker. Right fucking there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jesus again, isn't the, isn't the 20 years thing in the Constitution? I'm going to look that up. Yeah, go ahead and look Thank it up. You. But... So he does mention, of course, uh, that uh, this this wood guy is really mad that they're not they're not doing this the right way. Uh, you know, the way that history should be done, according to this guy, Wood, who I should also mention does not have a PhD in history, but rather in anthropology, uh, is for historians to present their best arguments and their sources in journal articles mm-hmm. so that they can then examine the evidence and argue about it. He writes in a book which is absolutely just a polemic. That is uh, not at all a journal article presenting the arguments or evidence and and letting people argue from it. So that's that that's good. How people don't recognize when they're being hypocritical about that. But then he also points to what we would call, you know, legitimate historians with some credentials who had some problems yeah, with the sixteen nineteen project. Is a is a real historian who wrote about the Civil Jig War. Jig McPherson, <laughs> yeah. uh, Victoria Bynum, George Henry Davis, uh, James Oakes. This list of people who he pulls are people that were, I think, profiled in in the the one that he's uh, discussing, the New York Times, uh, where they uh, interviewed these five historians who had reservations about. Uh, important aspects of the 1619 Project, and also important to note that they agreed with some of the things about the 1619 Project. So I think also we want to play up that side of it. But yeah, also, sorry, just fun quickly, fact... Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1 of the Constitution is about the, the slave trade, and it not being... Ah, not there being, you go. That's right. The slave trade was what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Okay. Uh, I'm a lawyer. I very rarely look at the Constitution. That's how actual law works. <laughs> But, uh, but uh, that is explicitly founding a slave state because you're yep. explicitly not banning slave trade until 1808. Mm-hmm. And and then when they did ban slave trade, a lot of these people say, well, you know, look who voted for that. It was the southern states. Yeah, because that made their slaves a whole lot more valuable. Yeah, that was like fucking horrible, man. Anyways, uh, these people who were all interviewed, uh, this list of professors that he has in here, these same professors were interviewed by an outlet called, I want to get the name of it correct, uh, right here. It is titled uh, World Socialist Website, mm. uh, which is the website of the International Committee of the Fourth International, cool. which is the online newspaper of the international Trotskyist movement. Great. They were also somewhat critical of the 1619 Project. So you run into these sorts of problems when you try to make this straight line argument that CRT is Marxism. Oh, yeah. And, really, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the 1619 Project is CRT. You, you run into these sort of logical leaps that you have mm-hmm. to deal with. And, of course, Mark never deals with these no, sorts why would of things. It? So we... No, of course. He also, you know, he, this is just a hodgepodge of throwing out these sorts of little tidbits about, you know, this person thought that the U.S. was a great country, so all these people pointing to actual problems must be wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, He does, uh, for example, point out that Frederick Douglass said great things about the Constitution. And, of course, he was trying to make an anti-slavery argument at the time that would appeal to people who were sentimental about the founding era and wanted to live up to the principles. Sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you have to meet people where they are. He also said a lot of a not very nice was... things about the United States, such as, yeah, for example, yeah, his did. famous speech, What to the Slave is the 4th of July? Nothing. Yep. Yep. So, uh, he, yeah, he, uh, what page is that on? I don't see not. him not in the citing to that one. 
But everyone know. should read that he then, too. That's a great speech. <laughs> yeah. He then, oh he, oh, he also points out like, uh, John C. Calhoun and a bunch of other abolitionists also argued that the Constitution was an anti-slavery document. And like, I'm sympathetic to what those people were trying to do, but they were wrong. Yeah. It was not an anti-slavery document. Yeah. Like, if it had, like, if Benjamin Franklin had won out the day, it would have been an anti-slavery mm-hmm. document. But it wasn't, because he lost in the end. Uh, but then he starts complaining about the New York Times' record on truth and human rights. Uh, we might remember Mark Levin's record on truth and human rights itself not so great. But he points out, uh, this. remember, and this always makes me giggle every time I hear it, his last book was called Unfreedom of the Press. Yep. <laughs> I can't get over how he thought that was a good title. Uh, but he's again here sort of quoting from his own previous work there, talking about how uh, the New York Times uh, apparently, you know, all the all the claims, covered up um, the Holocaust. And of course, there's plenty to criticize about, you know, journalism in the 1920s and 1930s. Uh, sure, man. Yeah. And then there was uh, the Ukrainian, uh, the Holodomor in the 1932, and then uh, Which, yes, uh, the last one he complains about. Which, all agree was bad. Like... Yeah, we all agree was bad, man. Uh, and then uh, in the 1950s, apparently a New York Times correspondent interviewed Castro and uh, liked the guy. Yeah. So that's... Except That's he says it much th- more dramatically. He like says like fell in love with and was ensnared by the Castro. No, no. He says ultimately was devoured mm. by Castro's mythology without ever really understanding what was happening. Sure. Cool. Look, that is that is a much sexier bit of language. There, I will agree with you on that. That is that is very good. But then the next person he brings up that he's going to be quoting from is a guy named Zach Goldberg who is apparently, at the time of the book's writing, a doctoral candidate uh, at, uh, I don't even, a Georgia State University in political science. Um, I can, as of today's date, when we're recording the show, find no information about anyone giving a shit who this guy is. I can't find that he's a professor anywhere. I can't find that he has become a PhD since this book was published. I can't find anything. But uh, apparently yeah, he did. So- it, oh, you, actually, you shouldn't like it again. A doctoral candidate, like I, they're like. Well, but the one thing I can find of him is uh, a series of extensive interviews with the Manhattan Institute mm. that he did. So you know that might give you another idea about where this guy's at. But apparently he decided to do some extensive examination of media reporting on race and racism in recent years, which uh, he describes as the most extensive which I can verify is not the most extensive. There is a great deal of research on um, the race and racism in the media. There's a great deal of it out there. And this kid didn't do that much of it. He just happens to agree with Mark Levin's point that he wants to put out. So that's why Mark decided to choose this doctoral candidate. And apparently all he did... the left controlled academia. Of course, we know this. Yeah, sure. that's that's how this works. Uh, but apparently what this Zach kid did, and I'm going to call him a kid. I have no idea how old he is, but he's still in college and I'm not anymore. Um, what he did was look at, you know, opinion pieces uh, and uh, other works that were in newspapers. I think he focused on the New York Times and the Washington Post and tried to look for the uses in various... I think he might have done all the articles, not just opinion pieces, but the use of words, specific words, having to do with race and racism, discussion of race and racism, 
and count them up and try and just, you know, he, he just came up with you know, what percentage of overall words was that. Mm. And boy, howdy, the use has increased. Extremely funny. It is. Because he, 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 he does the raw percentage for the first one, and he's like, it was uh-huh. originally 0.000, 000, 000 but four zeros anyway. 0.000013. And then he's like, this increased by 1,200%. Do you know what that makes it just out of interest? No, what does it make? 0. I didn't do the math. What 0. is it? 0.0012%. So then, it, like, it loses one zero. Which is, you can see why <laughs> he doesn't really use funny. the percentage. He uses percentage increase. That's, yeah. that, is a, that is a business school <laughs> trick there that Mark Levin has done. Well, this is still a very small number, but as you can see, it has increased massively. Like, okay, dude. I'm, this is one of those moments again where I'm so proud of you for having done that math ahead of time <laughs> things rarely make me mad enough to work ahead of time but then I'm like, oh, i recognize this bullshit. i was just planning on saying i didn't do the math but i'm sure that's an almost you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah. magnificently small it's still increase a magnif- well it's a big increase but it's still a magnificently small number oh yeah that's what i mean so. that's what i mean but also i mean Apparently, this is something from this Goldberg kid's uh, doctoral thesis or whatever this came from. Um, He apparently found a bunch of article titles or opinion piece titles that for some reason he felt the need to highlight, I guess, because it matters. And those are, quote, when black people are in pain, white people just join book clubs, (laughs) which is a great fucking title, man. That's a great fucking title. Also probably true. Yeah. Next, black activists wonder, is protesting just trendy for white people? Again, just a great fucking title. And then, to white people who want to be one of the good ones, followed by the last one, which is, quote, America's enduring caste system. Our founding ideals promise liberty and equality for all. Our reality is an enduring racial hierarchy that has persisted for centuries. And I remember that one just vaguely when it came out because that caused a little bit of a right-wing media stir. Um, I remember people talking about it because I think the author, and I think he does note it, Mark does, uh, compared the U.S. to Nazi Germany. Like in that way where it's like a very vague comparison to Nazi Germany. Sure. Like... Then they want to make a big deal out of that. Whatever. Do you remember? But anyways, those titles. It wasn't Isabel Wilkerson, was it? I think I don't remember. It is uh, the footnote is in the end of the book, and I should have pulled it up. I think I might have googled it when I read the book originally the other day, but I don't still have it uh, pulled up now. So what was the title? But uh, yeah, it was. It was by sorry, it was by Isabel Wilkerson, and it coincided with her book Cast, which came out around the same time. Yes, that's she, why I remember she, it making a stir. She yeah. mostly examined and compared the United States with India, actually. Um, right. And, and caste systems and, and did a lot of uh, scholarly research on caste systems in, in India and the Indian, well, the Indian subcontinent and, uh, and the U.S. Right. And it's an interesting book that you should read. Yeah, and I think the, the Nazi Germany thing is where she describes the way that caste plays there between Jews and the Protestant whites and, sure. and that as a sort of caste system. Anyways, none of these people care about, you know, whatever nuance or interesting thoughts she was trying to get at with that book. Uh, but she compared the U.S. to Nazi Germany. Look at how bad these CRT people are. Aren't they just evil? Yeah. But anyways. Um, so the whole point of this section about this, you know, doctoral thesis kid is that, you know, we used to talk about race less in the media. Mm-hmm. Now we do. That must be the problem. Yeah. The fact it's that not, we talk it, about it more 
Yeah, it's the same thing that they always do where it's like, hey, people are really complaining about this thing right now. That must be what's causing people to experience it. It's like, no, it's the other way around. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, here's from here's a quote from this Goldberg kid where he says, quote, White supremacy is now a vague and all-encompassing label. Instead of describing the dis- demonstrably, yeah, demonstrably discriminatory ideas and actions of particular institutions or individuals, white supremacy is now understood by many progressives to be the fundamental ethos of the American system as a whole. Which, I mean, yeah, he continues then, quote, The media's use of white supremacy and related terms to describe anything or anyone who does not conform to the CRT racist ideology is pervasive. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Why not? It's just, it goes off. And that that second portion of the quote I read was from Mark, not from the Goldberg guy. Uh, You know, the Goldberg guy is just like, he's obviously got a political slant he's trying to push here. Um, He's painting with too broad of a brush. He doesn't understand the arguments being made by the other side. But the whole thing does come down to, why are we talking about this? You're making me feel uncomfortable because you're talking about mm. this. We should just pretend that this isn't a thing. Yeah. It's really what And also, want. their definition of, of white supremacy is, is too narrow. You may argue Very that ours, so. ours is too broad, but theirs is definitely too narrow. Absolutely. And they point out that, oh, this this measurement that he did, that uh, until 2015, terms related to white supremacy almost never registered more than 0.0001% of all words in a given year in any of the above newspapers. Until 2015. Can you think of anything that might happen around 2015? Maybe slightly before. Not even 2015, 2013. Well, I was getting it more, uh, you know, Ferguson happened in 2014. Oh, yeah, yeah. So maybe we had an uptick after that. Yeah, yeah. Of why we'd be talking about the the conversation we never fucking had in this country about race, mm-hmm. right? We never fucking had it. We still haven't properly had it. And people like Mark Levin and this Goldberg guy want to make sure that we're never able to have it. Because it makes them feel tickles in their tum-tum. And they don't want to have to deal with that. It's just, it's just annoying as shit. So we get some, you know, uh, Lincoln and then Douglas debates, um... You know, I, who was it that recently thought that uh, the Lincoln-Douglas day, debates was were between... Frederick Douglas and Lincoln? Yeah, I think yes, it was, yes, some, who was, it was that? a Republican. Yeah, I don't remember who it was, but that it made me think of that when I saw that. And then we get, of course, to the, the great, glorious, and beautiful executive orders uh, that have come out from Donald J. Trump, uh, who, who had the most great ideas this and all the best very ones. Funny. To get rid of the Marxist CRTs uh-huh. in all of the things. And uh, he starts talking about that. He talks about how Trump's order was just perfect and there was nothing wrong with it. And it, it, all the words meant something. Um, and he pointed out how there were uh, uh, training materials from, for example, the Argonne National Laboratories, a federal entity that stated that racism is, quote, interwoven into every fabric of America and described statements like colorblindness and the meritocracy as Actions of bias. All of those are chopped up into very different quotes. I do not believe that those words appeared in that order or meant what they're trying to imply they mean, because I know what they meant by those words. That colorblindness can lead to actions of uh, dis- that disadvantage people that are actual minorities. That's the fucking point of CRT. <laughs> yeah. Which we went over a couple weeks uh-huh. ago. But then we get to... Uh, all the points that that executive order supposedly banned because it was so good and glorious and right and great, uh, which include, one, one race or sex is inherently superior to another race or sex. Great. That's that's something we don't want taught. I agree with that one. Two, 
An individual, by virtue of his or her race or sex, is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or unconsciously. That's not what CRT means. You're missing the point already. By number two. By number two, you have already missed the point. Three, an individual should be discriminated against or receive adverse treatment solely or partly because of his or her race or sex. And I get that that is written both to appeal to people who think that discrimination is wrong and to appeal to people who are white and think that they are being discriminated against. (laughs) Four, members of one race or sex cannot and should not attempt to treat others without respect to race or sex. These are so really, really is, confusing. I, like, I twisted myself in knots trying to understand what these Yeah, are. number four is trying to ban teaching that there are problems with colorblindness. Yeah. That colorblind racism is a thing. That's what it's trying. It's trying to ban teaching that colorblind racism is a thing. Yeah. Is what that is. Five, an individual's moral character is ne- necessarily determined by his or her race or sex. Again, no one believes that. That's fucking dumb. Yeah. This is just obviously a troll. It's a fucking yeah. troll to try and say, this is what the CRT is. That's why we have to ban it. Blech. Six, an individual, by virtue of his or her race or sex, bears responsibility for actions committed in the past by other members of the same race or sex. Again, nobody fucking believes that. That's not what it's about. You're fucking lying to people about what the other side thinks. That's what six is. Seven. Any individual should feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress on account of his or her race or sex. Well, no, but I think you should feel discomfort for writing this fucking list, and maybe a certain amount of guilt or anguish as well. You fucking dickbags. And number eight was just meritocracy or traits such as hard work ethic are racist or sexist, or were created by a particular race to oppress another race. Which is... A straw man of an actual position, right? That meritocracy, that people who push aspects of meritocracy was invented as a joke. Like literally, like (laughs) the the person. It was in a satire where that first appeared, a British satire. That merit, like it's not a real thing. Right. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But then he points out that on Biden's first day in office, he got rid of that beautiful and glorious and absolutely not a waste of time troll executive yeah, it, order. Yeah, and it, like they put, didn't they put it out after the election as well? I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, no, I think you're thinking of that report. Uh, you're thinking okay, of the 1776 okay, okay. report, yeah, which yeah, we yeah, will yeah, get yeah, to in a moment. Okay, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, in Biden's executive order, though, uh, they replaced the phrase racial equality with racial equity. Ugh, people which get really wound says, up about this. About which Levin says, quote, it is a clear indication that his intentions are in line with the CRT mm. movement's view that the goal is equal outcomes, not love equal access and that. treatment. It's so stupid. I know, it is really dumb. He then says, quote, Moreover, Biden directs the federal bureaucracy to aggressively collect all kinds of data on the characteristics of individual citizens to ensure the enforceability of equitable outcomes. Skipping down a uh, uh, sentence, quote, This is from that executive order. Many federal data sets are not disaggregated by race, ethnicity, gender, disability, income, veteran status, or other key demographic variables. This lack of data has cascading effects and impedes efforts to measure and advance equity. And then, Mark says about that, quote, The tracking of citizen behavior in government databases for the purpose of enforcing the government's social and cultural objectives, in this case, the racist CRT goals, is reminiscent of communist China's social credit system. Yep. 
bum, bum, <laughs> bum. Got us. Absolutely so nailed many, it. Nailed it. So many of these people are trying to make the social credit system a thing. Yeah. I love it every time because I think the last one that I remember was Glenn Beck trying to pretend that, what was it, the college board having some thing that accounted for race was a social credit sure. score? Yeah, I, it's not, though. None of it is. <laughs> None of it ever is. None of this is a social credit score. And you don't know what the fuck a social credit score is. No. Oh, it's just so wonderful. I really love it every time. Ooh, Ch- commies, communist China's coming to the United States in the form of better disaggregated data. <laughs> it's just great. And then he gets to the 1776 project or whatever it was called. And he says about that quote, Furthermore, among Biden's first presidential acts was to abolish Trump's advisory 1776 commission, which was established to, quote, enable a rising generation to understand the history and principles of the founding of the United States in 1776 and to strive to form a more perfect union. Why would Biden want to destroy something with such a glorious title? (laughs) Why? It's like the rug's been pulled from him again. Like, it's 1776 Project Rug Pull 1619 Project. (laughs) And here's where I had a moment, because I honestly could not remember if you and I had ever covered that 1776 report. We were going to, and then they took it offline. Yes! I will, okay, no, I still had it. See, here's the thing. At one point, we had planned to either do the 1776 one, or that blatantly racist America First Pack document that Marjorie Taylor Greene mm. and Matt Gates put out. And I, I think we did one of them. I don't them, think we did either. But I don't remember I which we, one. We were going to do the 1776 project and then Biden immediately recanted it. So I think we were it's just like, it's still ah, on the Wayback Machine. It's still no, out I just, there. I think we decided. We could still think, do it if we really we wanted to. It wasn't worth it. That was <laughs> We need to go back and do we that don't. someday. We really do. It still is worth it, especially now that we're doing this. We really should. Uh, but then he gets, uh, I don't know, a quote from a CNN segment. Yeah, uh, don't Or MSNBC, rather. Fine, whatever. Cool. Skip it. Boring. Don't really care. They made fun of the 1776 report. Everyone. Everyone made fun of the 1776 report because it was a fucking joke. I think, remember, I, it was a bunch of people, like, most of them weren't even historians. They were just, like political hacks who had gotten put on this thing mm-hmm. uh, and just put out a really, really embarrassing attempt at propaganda. So, uh, who gave a shit? Um, but he, of course, uh, describes uh, Chuck Todd and this uh, Lee guy, who I don't think he ever said who the full name of that guy was, uh, uh, Tremaine Lee. Uh, they are... Uh, um, I'll just do the quote. He says, Todd Lee and the other media personalities tow the party line. By this I mean they do not and will not break from the groupthink and ideological imperatives of the various Marxist-spawned movements. You know, that Chuck Todd that the left loves so much. (laughs) Chuck Todd, yeah, exactly. The left fucking hates Chuck Todd. Yeah, the left hates everyone, to be fair. Lukewarm Democrats hate Chuck Todd. Like, (laughs) how does Chuck Todd have a job? Nobody likes Chuck Todd. I don't know how that's a thing, and I don't even watch cable news. But then, of course, we get to Black Lives Matter is the CRT, which we we all know is, of course, true. Yeah, no, Um, that's definitely right. And he describes it explicitly as, quote, The group Black Lives Matter, BLM in parenthetical, is a product of the fusion of Marxism and CRT. 
In a 2015 video interview with Jared Ball of the Baltimore-based Real News Network, one of the three co-founders of BLM, Patrice Cullors, declared that she and fellow founder Alicia Garza were Marxists. Mm. Uh, Trained Marxists. Oh no, is that later? You got us. I guess black lives don't matter because Marxism. Yeah, no, they, they, there's a quote <laughs> of them saying they're a trained Marxist, Alicia. Uh, yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is. Isn't that great? I don't give a fuck. I don't you, give a so, fuck. Have you been to Marx's training camp yet? Have you, have, you, <laughs> have you refreshed your credentials for the year? Oh, do you remember when Glenn Beck post, uh, post the, uh, 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 was it the Sweden, Sweden or Finland? I forget which uh, one, one it was. One of the yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you remember after that when Glenn Beck described that camp that the that Anders Breivik went to as sounds like a Nazi thing? Oh, you remember yeah. that? that? Was Norway. Just, it, it was like Nor- a summer training Norway, camp. Norway, yeah. Norway, that's right. I apologize for it was, that. Yeah, wrong. it was like, it was for socialist youth. Yeah, it was for, yeah, not good. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was just for like the, the social democratic party. Yeah. It was, that's all it was. It was just like that. These people, these people are uh, are so fucked in the head. It really is crazy. But so one of the things that they always do, and which like I feel we need to clarify somewhat, um, is they try and pretend that Black Lives Matter, the organization, really has much to do with the movement. Yeah. Right. Because it started out as just a slogan that people were chanting on the streets of Ferguson, Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know. Uh, 10 minutes, 15 minutes north of where I sit right now in St. Louis. Um, and yes, there is an organization that was created called Black Lives Matter and is run by Patrice Cullors and some other people. They love to go after Patrice Cullors because she is, you know, a queer woman of color who frightens them a whole lot. Um, and I don't know what the... De- they always try to attack her because I guess she owns multiple homes. Yeah. Great. I, I don't care. I really don't care. Um... But also, they have in here a quote about uh, the Her- from the Heritage, Heritage Foundation uh, that points out that uh, Patrice Cullors, she once trained at a group, a community center, established and run by a former member of the Weather Underground. Great. And unlike uh, Glenn Beck, he tells us the name of that guy, Eric Mann. Mm. Uh, so we got that at least. I don't care about that either. It doesn't really matter. Uh, apparently, the, there's a woman named Susan Rosenberg, who was a uh, part of the uh, May 19th uh, communist organization back in the 60s and 70s and whatnot, uh, and was involved with uh, helping black liberation organizations get access to uh, guns and weapons. Um, and she was imprisoned uh, for, I think it was like 58 years or something like that. Uh, and he wrongly claims that she got a full pardon from Bill Clinton. She didn't get a full pardon. She had her sentence commuted to time served. Mm. That is very different uh, than a full this, pardon. This section but... of the chapter really lost me because it's just like so deep, so so deep down the rabbit hole of like... Oh, man. I, I, just, I was this just is... like, I cannot bring myself to even begin to care about any of this. Like This is just uh, deep cut Republican lore. Yeah, yeah. Because he pulls out the Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn thing for no reason whatsoever. He just wants to try and tie this to Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. Because if you recall, and I don't know if you do, during the 2008 election cycle, and then I think again, and you know, throughout the entirety of Barack Obama's existence in the public sphere, the fact that he lived in like a building where Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn also lived uh, is was just repeated they called them best friends and it's like they served on a community board yeah. together like <laughs> really sad Lived attempt in to the try same and building okay 
Yeah, really sad attempt to try and tie President Obama to Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorr, who also, by the way, are, you know, respected members of their communities and just university professors mm-hmm. who were radical in their younger days and uh, do have very left-wing ideals. Um, but Kevin, also, the university was where Mao Zedong was radicalized and where Lenin and Fidel <laughs> were radicalized and where Che was well, radicalized. Mark's not going to let us forget that. <laughs> he certainly isn't. Also, funny thing, funny thing about all of that is that I think... And I don't remember, it might have been, I think Bill Ayers was on the Alex Jones show once. Great. Like, did an interview with Alex Jones. I think I remember that, and I will always, when I bring up Alex Jones, try and give credit to the guys over at Knowledge mm-hmm. Fight, because they're the ones who, who cover all that and where I get my information mostly about Alex Jones from. Um, but I believe he was on, and, like, it's crazy because Alex Jones kept trying to pin him with these, like, straight up, you know, right-wing talking points about what the left believes. And he's just like, no, I I hate Bill Clinton. Like, why would you say I love Bill Clinton? I fucking can't stand the guy. <laughs> like, I think Bill Clinton is right-wing. Like, yeah. and that just broke Alex Jones's brain uh-huh. and shit. <laughs> just wonderful stuff. Just wonderful stuff. Then we get uh, one of these other things you, many of you who pay attention to the right-wing, uh, you know, a uh, hate cycle will be familiar with, which is the claim that Black Lives Matter called for the dissolution of the nuclear family, which, of course, as we all know, is exactly what Marx was doing as well. And then we get a big block quote from Marx, which has a bunch of really interesting and very reasonable stuff, which he never bothers to deal with, as he never does with any of this stuff. He, ne- he just puts oh, these yeah, quotes yeah. out. Oh, yeah, yeah, but they, they all do that. We've said that before. Like, oh, you just said a thing and then not dealt with it or, like, not dealt with the response to it. Like, okay. Well, because I think in their minds, they are so... Because um, all these guys are radio guys, mm-hmm. right? Every last goddamn There's one. There's no of call them, and to, response. Yeah. They are just used to the strategy being say the thing in the funny voice that it sounds ridiculous in, right? Yeah. And they're trying to do that in a written form where, you know, you can't italicize every paragraph. So you just put it out there and you think, uh, my listeners will know that that's supposed to be a thing they can just take as ridiculous uh, just because someone that they dislike said it. Like, they, they just believe that. Yeah. That's all that matters. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, going back to it, so these people are involved with the organization Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know now that Black Lives Matter is a Marxist terrorist organization that wants to destroy your family. Um, and uh, so all of the left is into this because it's so funny uh, Democratic all love it. <laughs> Democratic mayors named streets after the organization Black Lives no. Matter. That's but B- Benedict. They call them Black Lives Matter, yeah. and that's the name of the organization. It's Black Lives Matter. So they're naming these streets after the organization, and particularly like like I think there's a cross street called We Love Patrice Colors <laughs> Boulevard that goes past. Black Lives Matter I'm, lane. I'm honestly more surprised that there isn't, like, more anger about, like, Malcolm X Boulevard, which is that, like... <laughs> like every city has. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, New York City uh, definitely has. Like. I mean, okay, we know that whatever city Ron Paul lives in would have a problem with the Martin Luther King Boulevard mm-hmm. because he would go to the local, you know, community organization and complain about mm-hmm. it. Uh, but yes, um, I, I am also certain that these people, if they knew that most cities had a Malcolm X Boulevard, would be very angry about those as well. As well. I, I'm pretty certain that Mark would have a problem with those if he were to find out yeah. about them. You've got a boulevard for Malcolm X? <laughs> Why don't you have a boulevard for the guy that killed him? Oh, because CIA already has its own roads. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Not technically on American soil. 
<laughs> Anyways, uh, so look, the next couple of pages here. Um, I didn't spend a ton of time on these next couple no, of pages. I have no, they are no notes. <laughs> some rambly nonsense. They are some rambly nonsense. And what he tries to do is increase page count mm-hmm. by jumping from what he's been talking about with Black Lives Matter to now talking about uh, lat crit which is he describes as Latina slash O critical race theory, which I guess okay, is a real thing. Fair enough. It, I, like, is as real someone thing, quite, Mark has, quite plugged into this stuff, I am not really aware of this as a thing. I am not particularly aware of this either. And I am someone who, as I said, had multiple professors uh, who are big names in actual critical race theory. Uh, not, I have no not idea. Not to say that it's not important. I mean, I knew like, that seems, there are... It seems, it does seem important. It's just like... He's it like his the way he introduces this segment is like the research of a postdoc, which like again, that's yeah. not someone like not to disrespect them, but like that's not someone of great import. That's not like a world leading scholar yet. They might turn yeah. out to be, but like to to devote like four pages to the work of this postdoc is is kind of bizarre to me. Yeah, that was what was craziest to me was that it was four pages to this person who like we said. No idea. You know, I don't have the framework or research to uh, understand whether or not uh, this is this is something that's worthwhile to spend this much page count. But I have a feeling that it's not worth four pages in this book about how America is falling down a Marxist rabbit hole. Yeah. Because the entire point, just to sum up what this uh, postdoc is writing about, is generally that well. The United Mexicans States is were here white... first, and America is more than the United States. That's the exactly. Like, literally, that's it. And and Marcus... and racism is racism expresses itself through nativism as well as color based racism and other things, mm-hmm. right? Like there, that's what it is. And there's also, I will say, one of the few things that I did find interesting in this because there was another article, and I'll try and find it and link in the uh, the show notes. But uh, as he always does, uh, Mark Levin has to point out that the very small, uh, tiny uh, percentage of these minority communities do agree with his position mm-hmm. on these issues. Um, and of course, those are the ones who are really being uh, uh, you know, treated poorly by everyone because people who actually you know, represent the majority of these minority communities um, don't like them. Yeah, the, so- the, the only thing that's interesting in this whole, it's kind of six pages really, is it eventually gets him to great replacement theory. Yes, yes, that's what we'll get. But what I was going to bring up is that there was an article that came out recently. It might have been a Media Matters piece. I don't remember. I spend so much time on Media Matters that that's where I... If I can't remember where an article was, it's where I assume it came from. But it was something like The Rise of the uh, uh, Latinx White Supremacists, I think was the title of it, something like that. Um, Because there is a rise of, uh, you know, Hispanic heritage uh, uh, white supremacists in the United States. And I think one of the most prominent is Nick Fuentes, Fuentes, the neo-Nazi from uh, Chicago. Yeah, which is why class has to come into race. Not not class. exactly. Which is why intersectionality is an important thing, is all I will say. 100%. Uh-huh, absolutely. But, uh, so yeah, uh, that's where we get the critical race theory that comes into this situation. He, he whines a little bit first about the fact that Obama, or not Obama, Biden, undid Trump's horrific immigration regime, or tried mm-hmm. to, and then a bunch of courts stopped it. Um, and of course, as we've said a number of times, still, the Biden administration needs to do more yep. to fix the immigration issue. Not in the way that people like Mark Levin mean fixing, but like actually fixing. Yeah. Would be great. Would be really wonderful. But then, yes, Mark Levin jumps directly into Great Replacement Theory. Literally, and Benedict, like both feet. 
this may disappoint you, but we're I did not forget this week to do a Mark Levin oh, quote, no. uh, a Mark Levin bit before we got to it. I rather waited until we got to this very point because I have from... One. Because th- this book, of course, we know, was published long before recent events. Uh, on his radio show, on the date of May 17th, 2022, Mark Levin went on and said this. The great replacement ideology is indeed a policy of the Democrat Party. No. They have celebrated. They've spoken of it. I've seen okay, pause. Obama has. I've seen a I've seen a lot of this stuff of people saying that like people saying that demographics destiny is the same as Great Replacement Theory, which it's a not because the Great Replacement Theory is like it's a Jewish comp- conspiracy. Yes, hundred percent. But like B also demographics is destiny is like nobody serious believes that also yeah because people come to the united states and then their priorities like as they establish lives here like often people's priorities change and like Mm. like like it's so annoying it's really that argument as we said and i think we said last week it denies that people from these communities have their own agency yeah exactly that they are capable of independent thought exactly and and that's absolute horseshit to say that sort of stuff it is true that many you know recently arriving immigrants particularly people from latin america if they become citizens, tend to vote Democrat. Yeah, but then, but and, then and so children, do people who have that heritage. Who have, like most well, yeah. recent immigrants do, because they have a certain like either either a certain like uh, economic status or like. But then, like their children might not have those same views. Often don't. Like, yeah, I don't know. It 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 seems very silly. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things that he, at some point in this, points out uh, the percentage, I think there was like a Pew survey he cites that, like, what percentage of people of Hispanic heritage vote for Democrats? Of course, Democrats win overwhelmingly the Hispanic Yeah, vote. but, like, Cuba, That's because Cuban the white immigrants su- don't, like... Well, well, yeah, but it's because the Republican Party is openly the party of white supremacy, yeah, yeah. right? And the Cuban thing has to do with, well, some of those Cuban people, uh, Most you know, of them really like the, to the, the pandering to anti-communist yeah. hysteria. yeah. Anyway, we'll continue this quote here. Biden has. Here's Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney is on a political kamikaze mission. Quote, she tweets, the House GOP leadership has enabled white nationalism, white supremacy, and Mm anti-Semitism. Yes, true. She's just correct there. I'll give her credit. I challenge Liz Cheney here and now. To a boxing match? Would be fun. Which Republican leaders have enabled white nationalism, white supremacy, and anti-Semitism? Isn't it? Better question is which ones haven't. Right? We're being honest about it. Amazing, folks. We actually have out-of-the-closet anti-Semites in Congress. Omar, Tlaib, Presley, Baker... Those are just Muslims. Yeah. They're just Muslims. That's all they are. AOC, I would argue they're all anti-Semites. Mm. <laughs> Baselessly. And yet I don't remember Liz Cheney condemning them or the Democrat Party leadership for enabling them. Didn't I have a whole vote condemning? So Liz Cheney is a narcissistic, self-righteous, political kamikaze. She likes the attention she's getting from the media. It'll even get worse in June when they have their hearings. But she makes these outrageous 
outlandish statements. Mm-hmm. Why do we think she's doing that? Elise well, Stefanik, they're trying to attack because yeah, Stefanik happily, worst. thank goodness, replaced Cheney. She's an effective leader. Cheney was not. In September, they write, Stefanik ran an advertisement claiming that radical Democrats were planning to grant amnesty to 11 million illegal immigrants. will overthrow our current electorate and create a permanent liberal majority in Washington. Isn't that why the Democrats are doing this? No. Is there some other reason? Yes. Does anybody believe if people coming across the border illegally would potentially be Republicans, that the Democrat Party would support it? I mean, really. So you get where it goes on from there, that he would just... And and to your point about the Great Replacement Conspiracy Theory typically involving the Jews doing it, I, I get that you mean... And that for a certain proportion... Yes, it is the case that the Jews are the ones who are doing this. But or even just, just in, in my inside, st- like whoever, like insert. In, yeah, exactly. In my study of conspiracy, yeah. the ultimate doer of the conspiracy, though the prime mover, is not as you know, it's intentionally vague so as to allow whatever conspiracy believer to insert their particular boogeyman to be whoever is responsible for this to be going on, right? You know, you could, that's why it's been so interchangeable throughout the years. And you go from, you know, the communists, the Catholics, the Jews, whoever you want it to be. Mm-hmm. It's a big tent conspiracy theory over here. But now we get to where in the text Mark Levin is promoting the Great Replacement Conspiracy mm-hmm. Theory. Where he says, quote, Alas, as Lat Crit preaches, there really is no such thing as United States sovereignty because America is bigger than just that's the United not what States. And besides, <laughs> First no, of all. no, it's not. United Statesians are the real interlopers. Those crossing the border by the hundreds of thousands are the actual indigenous Americans. Moreover, the Democratic Party hopes to benefit from embracing the movement as it counts on wave after wave of illegal aliens and subsequently grants of amnesty. As one of the ways in which it seeks a permanent hold on power. That's basically exactly what we just heard him saying on the radio. As Pew Research has reported, Latino voters favor the Democratic Party by a significant margin. Skipping down a paragraph, he says, quote, The plan is linked to the CT Marxist ideology. That is, the more migrants, the better. Continue to overwhelm and collapse the system. Change the nation's politics, demographics, and citizenry. And ultimately, transform the nature of the governing system. And by no means support or accept assimilation. After all, balkanization and tribalization are certain to destroy any country. Mm-hmm. So that goes back to, again, uh, you know, ignoring even his own arguments that it, this conspiracy is about ensconcing a permanent liberal majority, that it's about trying to destroy the country. And in my, by my reading of that paragraph, he means literally destroy. Yeah. Which is, again, the point where I go, this man's a fucking dumb dumb. Yeah, and also, I mean, he then goes on to say, like, the, the like Pew Research interviewed people in, like, Latin America and the Caribbean, and they're like, basically were like, would you like to move to the U.S.? And some of them were, <laughs> some of them said yes. Like, yes, yes. That which funny. he, that was which really he funny cites as evidence that there's a there's a huge wave of immigration. I know because he, I think the number he arrives at is like I don't know forty something million. Because the question was, you know, it was two questions, two sets of questions. That's how you get to his answer. Mm-hmm. It was like, uh, would they like to be able to move to another country permanently if they yeah. could? 
To which 27% said yes. Uh-huh. I have a feeling you could get similar numbers if you asked that question in the United yeah. States. Right? Probably. Because a lot of people, hey, a lot of people think Hawaii is a different country <laughs> and they'd like to move there permanently. Okay? We don't have a great education system mm-hmm. here in this country. And then the second question was which country they would like to move to permanently if they were one of those people. So the first gave you 120 million who said that they would, you know, taking the population number, 120 million said they'd like to migrate somewhere else. The second question was which country they'd like to move to, of which 35% said the United States, which gives us 42 million, which, like you said, is entirely about creating the uh, (laughs) perception that there is a massive tidal wave of 42 million people who are trying to invade the Southern Yeah, as if that's how either stats or facts work. Like... Right. Right. Remember, important caveat to that first question, if you could, yeah. was what the question also, I don't said. think it's included Brazil, interestingly, because 450 million, there's like 200 oh, million in, in Brazil alone, which is, uh, yeah. He says there are 33 countries in Latin America and the yeah. Caribbean, roughly 450 million adults. I don't know. There's, two, there's I'd have 200 to look something it up. million in Brazil alone, I think, and there's like 100 million in Mexico, so I would be surprised if that includes Brazil. Yeah, I have no idea how you're, you know, he... Uh, is he qu- he's, he's quoting from Gallup yeah. so I don't know I have no idea I couldn't t- or maybe maybe he's getting the percentages from Gallup and extrapolating how he wants I don't know I have no fucking idea what he did there I should have looked that up but I'm being bad this week uh, I was in a blues game last night I you know I had some fun but anyways next is uh yeah, trans panic uh, yep. we get uh, we get about seven or eight pages yeah, where of trans he lists panic. basically his whole argument is to list all the available identities you can claim for yourself yes oh god there is a half page of identities <laughs> listed which like oh no people can identify themselves how they want to uh. i know i wrote in the margin show me on the gender non-conforming doll where the pronouns hurt yeah. you mark like that's that's what I wrote. Also, he also points uh, yeah, out the other thing. Sorry, I, I got mad mm-hmm. about a lot of this. So he was like, in the house, he or she would become member, delegate, or resident commissioner, and father and yep. mother would become parent. Okay, we're using gender inclusive language. Yet Nancy Pelosi proudly and often reminds us, as do the media, that she is the first female speaker of the house. Yes, because she identifies in that way. <laughs> you're, not, you're not saying everyone has. You're just saying like, if you're not sure about the person's identity, just use a gender neutral term. It's yep. not difficult. Well, this is related to a brief uh, moral panic in the, you know, the the moral panic cycle of mm-hmm. the right. Uh, I'm still coming up for a phrase I like for that. But uh, oh, that, I don't remember when it was. It might have been about a year ago now, maybe a little bit more, uh, when apparently uh, Nancy Pelosi, as her as the speaker, put out a sort of guidance document that, you know, in official correspondence and in official paperwork, that people would be referred to in these gender-neutral ways. That's it. Just yeah. to avoid, you know, unintentionally misgendering people or whatever the case might be, or just to have paperwork that reads more fluidly and, and is more inclusive and you don't have to worry about this sort of shit. They went all up in a tizzy about mm. it and had a whole big problem. It's really not. And, uh, it's not difficult. Not at all. It really isn't at all. And of course, you know, there's a bunch of really gross stuff in here um, in these couple of pages because this is the big thing for the right now. And I think... You know, Mark, as I've always said, is a follower, not a leader. Uh, he's ne- So we're not hearing anything in here as far as, you know, the trans debate that we haven't heard from other people no. uh, who have been trying to develop this in the right-wing media sphere. So he's not he's not contributing anything. And also we know that all he actually does is just quote from other people. So, of course, he wouldn't be contributing anything. But he quotes from uh, National Review's editors who are panicking about, uh, you know, the quote-unquote transgender ideology 
and the fact that the Biden administration is apparently trying to institute that in every sphere of life because, you know, National Review is a piece of shit white supremacist mm-hmm. magazine and uh, we should burn it to the fucking ground or they should put out all their archives so we can remember who the fuck they are because they're monsters. We get the fact that Biden uh, created a White House Gender Policy Council, which is, of course, such an evil thing to do. Uh, the Education Department switched sides in two lawsuits before the Supreme Court about uh, transgender athletes. Uh, and then we get this evil monstrous organization that he's so mad about the human rights campaign of which i am a uh, federal club level member awesome. of the human rights campaign, which means i i give them money that's all it means it just <laughs> congratulations that i i donate money yep. to organizations and that means that they send me more emails asking for more yep. money because they think they think i have more even though the hundred dollars a month is a stretch. Uh, you should go join the human rights campaign. I will definitely make you a member of the Spooky World New World Order if you go donate any amount to the human rights campaign. It's a great group. Uh, we have hangouts sometimes, and and I enjoy the people there. But anyways, we next get a hate group. Of course, Mark goes to a hate group. Uh, Michael Cretella, M.D., uh, is who he is going to cite. Executive director of the American College of Pediatricians which should not be confused with a legitimate medical organization like the, uh, oh God, I forget what the actual name of the real one is. (laughs) I think it is the American Academy of Pediatrics, which is the the real professional organization for pediatricians. Uh, The American College of Pediatricians has about 150 to 200 members Mm -hmm. total uh, and has been labeled as a hate group by the SPLC because, among other things, Um, It spends its primary focus on advocating against abortion, advocating against the ability for gay or lesbian couples to adopt children, and advocating conversion therapy. Cool. Because it's just a hate group. He doesn't spend anywhere near as long as as I thought he would, to be honest. Like, he spent longer on on lacrit theory than than he does on... Again, I think he's behind... It's because he's constantly behind the curve. And he didn't realize that the, the, the race-based panic, panic would move on to a gender and sexuality-based panic. Uh, so, again, when he was writing this, probably in 2020 or 2021, he didn't realize where things were going. Because he has no idea. Yeah. Because he's, he's not a market mover. He's just a follower. That's all he has. But he tells us about all this after citing the hate group, uh, which is lying about trans people. He tells us about this. Quote, what does this have to do with Marxism? Nothing. For- <laughs> When you have to ask Good the question. Moving on. <laughs> End of the chapter. Yeah. Um, no, no, he says. First, recall Marx's war on the nuclear family. As described by the Wiley Online Library, quote, Marxist feminism is a species of feminist theory and politics that takes its theoretical bearings from Marxism. Notably, the criticism of capitalism as a set of structures, practices, institutions, incentives, and sensibilities that promote the exploitation of labor, the alienation of human beings, and the debasement of freedom. Mm. And then he moves on to say, uh, Marxist feminists think trans women are women. So Marxism, we got there. We got there somehow. nailed it. And I think he found, like, uh, a, an international socialism website that is kind to trans that people. That is like, hey, don't be uh, shitty to trans people. This maybe. is so sad, man. This is so fucking sad. But then we get to the, uh, you know, they're indoctrinating your kids-based mm. panic portion, uh, which is really where it starts to get really gross. 
Um, he cites from a Washington Post piece by a woman who is writing just about, you know, how you can teach your kids about these things. And it's like, hey, drag queen story time isn't the fucking evil clown show that Fox News is trying to tell you that it is. Yeah. Uh, it's just a performance art piece. <laughs> like, um, And, you know, there are some children's books that uh, discuss these issues mm-hmm. and things. So you can, you can do all that stuff if you want. And then he quotes from uh, the Heritage Foundation, the, another yeah. hate group. Uh, this woman, uh, Emily, 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 I'm going to say that's Emily. <laughs> Emily. I don't know. Sorry. A- <laughs> I didn't watch a- that. lie. She's lying. You I didn't watch that movie about the French girl. I didn't watch Emily. it. <laughs> Andrea Jones and that woman uh, in a Heritage Foundation essay titled Sexual Ideology and Indoctrination uh, say, quote, the Equality Act's impact on school curriculum and parental rights Uh, Actually, I was still reading the title. I thought that was part of the article. Quote, In recent years, activist groups have strengthened pressures on legislators and educators to require the teaching of radical lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender ideology in schools. Radical! Like that they have the right to exist. (laughs) They argue that inclusion and non-discrimination towards students who identify as gay or transgender require radical revision of the curricula. Yes, because there are many curricula that teach that it's not okay for those people like myself to exist. Schools across the country and around the world have attempted to implement curricula that teach students the non-scientific belief that gender is fluid and subjective and that traditional beliefs about marriage and family are rooted in bigotry. Show an example then, fuckhead. They don't. They fucking don't. Um, so it just continues on. Very gross. There's some smearing of the Human Rights Campaign, which, as I said, is a wonderful group that you should all go donate some money to. They say about it, quote, a leading activist organization. Joe. I love that because I was in a room with about a dozen people who were part of it last week, and it's just like, you know, a bunch of nerds. Uh, already asserts that LGBT students have been denied equal access to it ed- because it's a bunch of us queer people, but we're the kind who have money to give to stuff like this. Mm-hmm. So we're all fucking nerds. Yes. Yeah. We're all fucking lawyers and shit, and we're really, we're really annoying. We're not, fu- we're not fun gays, okay? <laughs> we're not fun gays. We're fucking boring gays. There were multiple people wearing ties and pocket protectors mm. in that room. Uh, anyway, continuing. Uh, already asserts that LGBT students have been denied equal access to educational opportunities in schools in every part of our nation, and explicitly draws comparisons to the Civil Rights Act's protections for ch- characteristics such as race, sex, and national origin. And that's a hundred fucking percent true. Mm-hmm. These people, and again, it goes back to, oh, well, they get to go to school. Oh, great. Yeah, Thanks. they get fucking bullied when they're at school. That's been the case. That was the case when I was a closeted kid in high school. And I was fucking horrible. When I used fucking, you know, slurs I don't like to use anymore. That's good. Uh, even Thanks though for admitting that. I'm technically that. allowed brave. to. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I was part of creating that... Uh, culture that didn't allow people like myself to come out of the closet. Oh God, this is opening up old wounds. Yeah, let's not do that. Opening up old wounds. Let's not do that. We're already an hour and a half in. I don't think we need to. We can do that another time. But anyways, Mark Mark follows what I just read by saying, quote, I wish to make clear that I generally believe in the motto, quote, live and let live. Bullshit. Complete fucking bullshit. Mark does not. We have never seen a slight bit of evidence that Mark believes in live and let live. I don't fucking believe him. This whole book is evidence that he doesn't believe in live and let live. Continuing. That said, many of its activists are outspoken advocates of CT. He's now taking the R out? Critical oh, he's going theory. back it's to critical, critical theory. theory. That's yeah, where yeah. he's going, because he's pretending they're identical. And are making escal- 
escalating demands on the imposition of their beliefs on the rest of society and the culture, including in classrooms and respecting ever younger children. They're coming for your kids. That's what it's always, always about. about They're coming the kids. for your kids. And now I will skip over to the final page. Well, can we just point out that he thinks Biden is more influenced by Herbert Marcuse than any of the major, like, Adam... I skipped... Yeah, I skipped a bunch of stuff in this chapter that I didn't read that was just him pretend... You know, the old uh, socialist Joe stuff, right? That he's really a Marxist and all that. Yeah, yeah. It is ridiculous whenever they try to do that. I just... Like, again, meet a real fucking leftist. You have no idea what the fuck that means. You you even know who Herbert Marcuse is, apparently. Yeah. But you don't know what a real fucking leftist is. I don't think is. Joe Biden knows who Herbert Marcuse is. I doubt it! I would doubt that he actually knows yeah. who Herbert Marcuse is. But to finish it off, he says about and uh, the, it, it referring to uh, critical theory or Marxism or whatever the fuck, he's been vague, is increasingly influential throughout the culture, too often, at the cost of Judeo-Christian values and the lessons of the Age of Enlightenment, which undergird the most tolerant, free, and beneficent societies, especially the United States. Now, he's going to have to fist fight Ben Shapiro <laughs> for saying that the Age of Enlightenment undergirds Western society, mm. because as we know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem and Athens, baby. <laughs> Jerusalem and Athens. <laughs> Instead, the intersectional network of a seemingly endless list of oppressed individuals and groups are obsessively committed to transforming and overthrowing the American Republican society, that is, the dominant culture and its supposedly repressive institutions, and are tearing this country apart. He sort of admits in that sentence that when he says destroying America or overthrowing America, he is referring to the dominant culture, which he sort of also acknowledges there is the, the white culture, <laughs> I think. It's the implication yeah, maybe, of Maybe, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, because he's admitting that they're, well, supposedly repressive. I don't know. It could go either way. Anyway, continuing. Of course, this is not to say that every individual or group associated with these movements or their professed purposes is knowingly part of such a rebellion or revolution. No doubt many are unfamiliar with the ultimate objectives and motivations of the fanatical leaders, organizers, and activists among them. Nonetheless, they are contributing to CT's extremely destructive and revolutionary purposes and ends. Good. End of chapter four of American Marxism. Benedict, yep. aren't you glad we get to shift to something yeah. new in the next chapter? <laughs> yeah, that, that was a weird one. Um, chapter five coming up is titled Climate Change, in scare quotes, Fanaticism. Yep. So, I don't know. I mean, I know Glenn Beck did some climate denial bullshit in his book. I don't recall if we've ever got someone who devoted an entire chapter just to lying about climate change. So. I don't know if we got I don't think, it's a, it's I, a long chapter, too, so let's see how we go. Yeah, and I don't think that Glenn Beck... I mean, I think he had that chapter that was a lot about climate mm. change, but I don't think the whole chapter, if I remember right, was about climate change. And I also don't think... That he was straight up denying climate change. He was arguing it's like a, well, that's probably what we're going to get from Mark. Is that it's a tool of the Marxists. Yeah, yeah. That's probably what he's going to be talking about here. But, uh, so that is chapter four. We are finally done. Benedict, still mad at me that that was a 60-page chapter. I am, yeah. We broke into two segments. And, um, 
at least the crazy is back. That's the best yeah, I yeah, can definitely, say for definitely. it. It's definitely back. Um, Screaming that everything is Marxism really does make it uh, much more entertaining for sure. me. That's really what yeah, I'm looking I, for in my but books. But then also being like, so what does this have to do with Marxism? Like, you have not made it obvious. <laughs> thank you, sir. Yep, thank you. Yeah, shouldn't you go out of your way to make it a little bit yeah, more obvious? Like, shouldn't that yeah, be the thing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, no, it's oh, always good man. fun when you're like, I haven't made my central point well enough, so I need to reinforce it. Well, anyways, uh, thank you all for listening. Hey, we I you sent you, uh, I sent you the tweet of the review that we missed at the start. It's uh, star, ah, well, Star Shark. Oh, do we we have to we have to do that right now. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess, if uh, we can pull this together at the end of the show, we can say now that every if everyone's still here, uh, and I will also because Benedict fucked this up so bad and didn't get it to me earlier. Yeah. I'll do it at the beginning of next show at well. But Star Shark, right before we go, you are part of our. Hat tip, rumble, cut eight, go. Goodbye. No, they can't do it. that. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> that was not it. No, you know what? That's what you get now. I'm going to do Spooky World, New World Order at the beginning of the next I, show. I particularly like, now, it. Star I particularly Shark, like it. Because you're part of the hat tip rumble cut eight. The, the review says, uh, calls me a poor sap named Benedict who sounds like he hates what Kevin has gotten him into, <laughs> which I think captures my energy magnificently. Pretty well. Yeah. Pretty well. But thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. And remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $1 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases of our episodes, and more. And as always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. J.D. Mainguest found the song. Yes, yes, you did. George Saulnier, Tinker's Dam, Janet Yutter, Stefan, Shannon Haleman, Utah Outcast, Pause, Brent Lee, David Garrido, Dave Barwick, Dodd Snow, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Ellie Bartlett, Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, AJ Brantley, Taro Tacannon, and Balls Watterson. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time. Hat tip, rumble, cut eight, go. Goodbye. Goodbye. podcast is a production of kevin and benedict productions copyright 2020 all rights reserved music for this podcast is by silverman sound studios find out more at silvermansound.com